Another episode of No Challenges Remaining, live from Birmingham, England. Brum, 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 brum. That's Courtney Nguyen. I'm Van Rothenberg. Pleasure to be joining you once again. We are here to talk about the French Open, Courtney. An entire Grand Slam happened since we last talked to our dear listeners. We decided not to do a mid-tournament show just because at a Grand Slam, especially one without a day off, so much can change within the time it takes to post an episode. The shelf life could be pretty quick. This definitely would have been the case first week on this uh, for this tournament. The second week kind of slowed down a little bit and things went a little bit more as expected. But let's talk about first big picture, Courtney. What is the thing you remember most about the 2014 Roland Garros French Open? International de France, as they call it. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, the biggest, the most impressive thing that I saw from this tournament was Maria Sharapova winning four straight three-setters, coming back you know, uh, in the first three from a set down, being points, handful of points from being ousted every single time to win this title for the second time. And I'll be honest, I mean, I was just kind of awestruck by it every single time she did it. And even though in the back of my head, I was like, oh no, like this is what Sharapova does. And, you know, um, all the numbers show that, you know, she doesn't lose that much on clay, but it's still just a really hard thing to wrap your mind around that Maria Sharapova is, I mean the best clay court player right now. I mean, I mean, I share, Serena is what Serena is. Serena's the best tennis player. So, you know, when she brings her best, she's unbeatable, unbeatable on any surface. Yeah. But it's just really impressive what Maria Sharapova did. So that's that's my takeaway from the 2014 French Open. My takeaway would be similar. I think Sharapova's run remembered more than Nadal's run, which yeah. is only fair on some level because it's only her second French Open title and it's Nadal's ninth. Um, for and me, she had to fight a lot harder. Yeah, she had to fight a lot harder. Um, let's just go right to it. We're going to sort of work our way backwards chronologically. Let's talk about Nadal before we get to Sharapova more. Um, Rafael Nadal won his ninth, which is absurd. Absurd. To be clear. Absolutely absurd. It's absurd. When you think about how many times... Any athlete, an individual athlete, to win a single event nine times... Doesn't happen. By the time you're 28. Yeah. It's not like, you know, this and is... he just turned 28. He just turned too. 28. I mean, that is absurd. Nine times out of the ten times he's competed. In a single elimination event. It's unbelievable. Incredible. It's unbelievable. That said, the final was pretty underwhelming. It was boring. It was pretty bad. He beat Novak Djokovic in four sets. Djokovic got off to a pretty good start. Nadal seized a little bit of momentum in the second set. And then the match kind of went away. And really faded. There was a little bit of a late charge from Nadal. Neither were playing absolutely impeccable tennis. It wasn't the best at their best. And it was the final we expected, too, and it's a matchup that we were very, very familiar with. So I think the bar is a lot higher for them in terms of what they have to do to wow us at this point. And it didn't happen. And I think, for me, the men's tournament was about what didn't happen. The women's tournament was about what happened, and there's a big difference. A lot of things didn't happen on the men's side overall. On the men's side, we didn't see Stan Wawrinka back up his Australia run. We didn't see a breakthrough player make it to the final or really have an impact on the business rounds. I mean, Golbis went deep, but he was never really considered a threat to win the whole thing at any point. And just, we didn't get a great final. We didn't get Djokovic finally breaking through. It was about what didn't happen. It was status quo. And ultimately, I think almost everybody in the press room was pretty underwhelmed on Sunday. Yeah, no, I mean, I was on 
uh, Radio Roland Garros for the men's final. And, and you did a really good job of Radio oh, Roland Garros, by the way. Hopefully a lot of our listeners listened to you and heard you talk without me, and it was really good. Stop. But, yeah, I mean, it was very difficult for us, I know, uh, to just try and really commentate that match because every single time one player built some momentum breaking or played a really good game or had a great like service hold or played a great point like within five minutes they fell back to earth yeah and it was just a really stop and start final no one really ever seized control of it it all the points seemed to not all the points i mean obviously there were a lot of winners and rafa's forehand towards the end of the match was great especially taking it down the line novak's backhand was phenomenal in the first couple of sets but it still felt like almost everything was ending on an error yeah and 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 there weren't like the long rallies that were used to between those two and um, and it didn't help that they both were like obviously physically it was a phys- it was physically a very tough ask in the second two sets obviously it wasn't super hot i mean speaking of Sharapova we saw her battle through a three set match right. in australia in 110 degrees this was 80 degree weather it, but it was but so much hotter than it had been so much hotter than it had been it can be relative yeah. right exactly and that's what i was kind of saying cuz i saw a lot of tweets from people being like why is Novak, like, you know, especially against Golbez, it was like, he's, what's wrong with him? Like, he's so weak. I'm like, no, dude, it's been freaking cold. Like, I mean, the last, the two, you know, two days before that semifinal match and four days before the final, you had players playing in long sleeves. Yeah, like Sheriff women... played almost her whole tournament in long sleeves. Exactly. I mean, it was a frustrating thing. I was trying to do fashion posts, and we had to delay them to the second week because there wasn't a day that she actually wore her dress. She constantly had a shirt over it. I mean, this... And it was legitimately cool out. I mean, we were in jackets and sweatshirts, and... Um, so, yeah, I mean, I totally understand physically why the final and the semifinal were so tough for both men. But, and Djokovic was also sick, I should and, add, on Djokovic. It's, it does appear to be that... Novak Djokovic was not 100%. Got uh, stomach, uh, some sort of stomach virus or stomach something, whatever. Something that sapped him a bit, yeah. Yeah, so, but, um, yeah, this is, the. I mean, I said it on radio when I was on with Nick Lester, you know, this is not going to be a final or a match that you're going to buy on DVD or you're going to download or you're going to rewatch. I mean, the result is incredible. I mean, I'm not in ripping on the final I'm not taking anything away from Rafael Nadal and what he's been able to do at Roland Garros for the past 10 years. It's been absurd. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just a shocking... Unthinkable, really. Unthinkable, like, an incredible achievement. But, like, this title run was not something that I'm going to look back and remember. His match against Murray was impressive. Yes. His performance was better against sure. Murray than it was against for Djokovic. Sure. And he just clobbered Murray. And that was really, for me, the, the match where I was like, oh no, Rafa's going to win this. Yeah. No, my, I was picking Djokovic the whole way yep. until the semis yep. when Djokovic was unimpressive and it all came out absolutely crushing Murray. Yep. Six um, games Andy Murray won off Rafa games. Nadal. And granted, Andy was not 100%, and he was fatigued. As he had said in his press conference, that's his own damn fault because he took way too long... Uh, to beat, you know, a Gael Monfils, a Cole Schreiber, even Verdasco. That was a great, it was three straight, three straight sets, but it was a grueling, grueling match. Yeah, it was a great match. It was a great match. It was one of my favorite matches of the tournament. But, yeah, I mean, Rafa looked so, so good in that. And I was with you, Ben. I picked Novak Djokovic to win the title um, before the tournament. And then when I wrote my preview, I was like, yep, I'm going backwards on that. It's, it's Rafa in four. And, uh that's what happened. And you were right. I was right. So let's switch to the men. We're going to try to alternate this. Oh, sorry. Switch to the women. We're going to try to alternate this a bit. Maria Sharapova won her fifth Grand Slam title, second at Roland Garros. 
beating Simona Halep, who lived up, really justified her seating out of nowhere. This was Simona's first slam as a top 10 player, and she was number four, and she surpassed that seed, got through a pretty tough draw, beating Sloan fourth round, Kuznetsova quarters, uh, Pekovic wasn't a very tough semi, all things considered, and then played really tough against Sharapova. Uh, talk about those two players, Courtney, and just how good that final was, because that final was the opposite. If, I think there was a lot of, part of what made it really good is that it wasn't the 40th time they played. It felt like a new occasion, a new permutation of the WK Tour. That was exciting. It was great offense versus defense. The quality was really, really good. Both women handled their nerves really well for the most part, and it was a sight to behold, and we both got our wish in this tournament. I wish for a three-set women's final. You wish for a Gulbis quarter. You got one better than that. I got better than just a three-setter. So we're pretty happy overall. How good was the women's final to you? It was so good. It was so, so good. I yeah. mean, just because, I mean, admittedly, I kind of had faith that Sharapov was going to pull it out no matter what happened. Uh-huh. Um, at some point, you just kind of believe that, like, you know, We've said this before on this podcast, you know, Sharapova just has this uh, from my cold, dead hands sort of... uh, And she never trailed, really. Yeah, she never really trailed. And so I kind of knew that, or at least believed that she would win it. But just the way that Simona Halep really forced her to bring her A-game. I mean, Sharapova had to play extremely well in order to win that match. And that's all you can ask from a Simona Halep, who was in position to win that match, too. I mean, she played so well. I think that the best thing to come out of that final is I don't feel like I have to write anymore getting to know Simona Halep, like, posts. Hopefully, like, she, I mean, she took the court. She showed everyone why, as of now, she's the number three player in the world. She absolutely deserves it. Everybody, and myself included, looked at her 2013 season and had a little bit bit of a, a, a faint asterisk to it. Because you're like, yeah, but where are the big wins? Where's the big performance? Where's the the big big title? Right, like she didn't perform well at the slams last year, at the big tournaments. She didn't do much. She was winning a lot of small tournaments. And Mm -hmm. for people who defend Simona Halep and didn't take well to that sort of criticism, I point to the criticism that Caroline Wozniacki used to get. You know, to a lot of other players, who Agnieszka Radwanska, where people were like, oh, all you do is vulture tournaments, and you don't actually make big wins. And yet those same people are like, oh, Simona Halep's amazing. She is amazing, but let's not look at like let's not ignore the fact that she never really had proven herself before this year against top level yeah. elite competition. And she still has some work to do on that. I will say she, she still does. hasn't beaten a Serena, a Sharapova, an Azarenka, a Lena. I think she beat Lena maybe way back in the U.S. Open like a few years ago before she was anything. Right. But she has as a top player, she hasn't beaten the other right. past Slam champs except for Kuznetsova, who's kind of in her own category of being. Um, but <laughs> she's yeah, just Sveta. She's yeah. just Sveta. I mean, and so that's going to be the thing. And so even though here at the French Open, you know, she did what she's supposed to do. She beat all the players you would expect her to beat. But then against, in the final, going into it, I was like, oh my God, she's going to get nervous. She's going to totally poop her pants and she's going to freak out. Yeah. And like whatever. And she didn't. And she played a tremendous final she, I mean, nothing to be ashamed of at all with with her performance. And I think that watching it all go down, the final is when I truly believed, like, Simona Halep is a legit, elite, top-level player. Who will win slams. Who will win slams and who will win, you know, big WTA titles, who could win the WTA championships. You know, like, she's that 
you know, she's elite. And reliable. And reliable. And, I mean, so in that way, that was my takeaway. And that's not to say that I didn't believe that before. I mean, you watch her play matches, and you can see the talent, and you can see what she can do, and it's so great to watch. But to see her actually pull it off um, in the final, I thought was just really, really cool to see. And I absolutely 100% believe in Simona Halep now. So it was the exact opposite of the men's final in a lot of ways. It was three hours and two minutes. I would absolutely watch it again. I would get it on I DVD. I want to watch it again. I would totally watch We should I do was, it sometime here in well, Birmingham. I was thinking that, actually, because I was like, the stupid French Open is going to block any highlights, any yeah. full match stuff that's going to go on. And I'm like, but if you're the French Open, you should be marching this match out and saying, yeah. like, this is what happened at our tournament like you should let it go up and let it go viral but i do want to watch it again because i was watching it while also doing radio and live blogging and all these sorts of things and i would like to just sit and watch the match um and enjoy it because even in the midst of all that multitasking i was genuinely like enjoying that match and on the edge of my seat it was fantastic bt dubs speaking of french open discussing women's final i don't think there were any issues at the french open in terms of women getting the shaft on court assignments really or anything like that. So, because we criticize the opposite, we should applaud. This sure. was pretty much totally equal treatment from the French Open. So, totally well I done. Mean, as close as they got was when they put a Ronnie uh, Pekovic on Chatrier and Kuznetsova Halep on Suzanne Lalonde. That, that was, was just like a, a weird bit questionable. Choice. But the argument was that a Ronnie hadn't played Chatrier yet, I yeah. think. Um, so fair enough, but okay. I mean, to put like a former champion in the highest remaining seed in what is the better, that wasn't a gendered final. fuck up though. That was just a weird choice. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's, that's what I'm saying. Fair. I'm no. saying like yeah. Wimbledon, we're coming into Wimbledon. We'll have <laughs> two men's matches and one women's match yeah. on, on center. center court and court one for yeah. the whole way until like the last week until like the late quarterfinals or whatever. So good on you, French. Well done. Bien fait, et cetera. Speaking of French women and gender equality and stuff, let's move to the men's semifinalists, um, which actually both have interesting things to say on this front. Um, well, let's start with uh, emerging feminist icon Andy Murray. Courtney, I know, first of all, we had talked offline. We sort of saw this. We knew at least that Moresmo was a legit candidate, um, I think, before a lot of people did. And both of us, I know, talk, when talking to people who were really trying to dismiss it, being like, oh, he'd never hire one. Both of us were like, I don't know. I don't know. And it happened. You, could sh- you should see her, her smug eye rolling right now. It's such a happy face. Courtney, explain to me. Let's first, we talked a little bit about French Open. Andy Murray made the semis. Better than expected. What do you make of Andy Murray's tournament, including the Sunday final when he didn't play but did announce it? Which, by the way, kind of weird upstage timing, Andy. Awesomely upstagey timing, Andy. Um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, he skipped this tournament last year, so for him to make the semifinals this year, great result for him. Back in top five. Back in the top five, you know, and he doesn't, I mean, obviously he has 2,000 points to defend at Wimbledon, but you look at, okay, these were free points at the French that he got. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, like, you know, after Wimbledon, he's not going to have much at all. So it'll be interesting to see where Andy Murray ends up in the rankings at the end of the year. I, mean, I, he, think, I think he'll pass Federer. I'd be, yeah, I bet he will. I, I'm thinking top four. Uh, yeah. for Andy Murray. But, yeah, so, I mean, a great tournament for him. I mean, a dicey one at times, but I think that it was the perfect tournament for him going into Wimbledon. So, in other words, he, he was never going to win this He got battle-tested. Yeah, he got battle-tested. He should come out of the French Open 
believing in his body more, mm-hmm. believing that he can get through five set matches, yep. which he wasn't sure about. Um, and he got through that Cole Schreiber one in two days, having to turn around, um, you know, to play the the end of that fifth set. That's a big plus for his recovery ability. The Fernando Verdasco match, again, great match, one of the best matches of the tournament. And um, he recovered well from that, and he was also able to play well through that. It was over three hours for a three-straight-set uh, win. Yeah. And then Malfis to, to battle through that, and he was getting heavy-legged. He lucked out. Let's not pretend that Gael Malfis didn't hand him that match. Yeah. But again, it's, it's just about the physicality. So I think that he's in a, he's in a good good nick for Wimbledon, which is good. The Marez- good nick with such a nice Britishism. You're welcome. Sometimes she speaks British. I do. Now, as for the Moresmo hire, yeah, as Ben was alluding to, I kind of had an idea that... Her name had been floated to Andy Murray. When was During that? Rome, I think. No, way before Rome. It was like okay. two, maybe two, maybe a week or two before Rome. Okay. Kept it under my hat. wasn't a big deal. I was like, okay, but I know that the name was floated, and you know, and and that he didn't reject it outright is what yeah. I knew. And so then, yeah, like when we were in Paris, just talking to kind of some of the British reporters to get kind of their sense because obviously it was a big talking point, especially in that first week, um, and just kind of floating it, and you know, and just being like, well, what about Moresmo? And she was obviously spotted um, watching one of his uh, matches, and that became a big article in the Daily Mail. But even then, everyone was dismissing it. Everyone. No one thought that he would do it. And I would put forth my argument, which was, and I, I think I tweeted this, which is, Andy Murray at this point, yes, obviously the goal is to win more slams and maybe get to number one, uh-huh. right? But no slam that he wins... First of all, he's not going to break any records, okay? He's in a generation of people who are breaking records. He's, he's not going to catch those people. There's no way he's even going to catch Djokovic. Even no. if Djokovic doesn't win anymore, Murray is not winning five more slaps. Right, exactly. Not no, I don't, I don't think so. So he's not going to, like, break any records. And he's already won Wimbledon once. Okay, if you win Wimbledon twice, congratulations. But all you really need to do is win Wimbledon he's once. He's set for life. He's, he's set, for, set life. for life. So at this point, like, what is the mentality of an Andy Murray? To me, it is, first of all... That, like, I've always really loved Andy Murray's game. A lot of it, even when he was a skinny, scrawny little, you know, guy Twerp. wearing Fred, Fred Perry. Um, but because it's very creative and it's very, there's a lot of shot making um, and thinking going on there. It's not a stereotypical British game, in my opinion. It's not a stereotypical, like, even, like, American-style game. It, it's not, you know, he's kind of morphed himself into this, not basher, he's still totally a shot maker. But under, more himself like a, a rugged baseliner. Right, a rugged. That's a good point. A rugged yeah. baseliner. But to me, when I thought about the Moresmo hire, I was like, here's somebody who could maybe tell him, go have fun, go hit shots with flair, go do these things, and in that way, it would help. Well, first of all, it would help his image in two ways. A, I think hiring Moresmo obviously helps his image. Um, maybe not amongst the laddish like bro crowd like you're like what the fuck but or the old boy network right the old boy network but amongst i think if you're a wta fan i think that like most people who listen to our podcast like you guys are wta fans Uh how is andy murray not your favorite tennis player right now how like you know i mean it's it's incredible um it's a it's a groundbreaking hire on many different levels but just from a coaching and technical perspective like i think that she's gonna like kind of encourage him to relax and to play his game and to be the fun shot maker that would kind of turn him into 
the guy that people actually want to watch play because I don't think that he's that guy right now. No, no his game itself is not very fun right now. I still love it, but like on the whole, like I don't think people like tune in to watch Andy Murray play. But if he were to play kind of his more free, natural style, maybe that would change and maybe his image would change combined with the whole like, yeah, he's the new feminist icon sort of thing. Like, I think that there's a lot of different things going on there and it's really interesting. Let's go... You talk about Andy Murray being a new feminist icon, but I think what he really is is he was sort of outed as a feminist icon through this hire, and he kind of was Not just all through this along. Hire. Like through the week, the couple, yeah, Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King gave him a, gave him her blessing, which means a lot. She said, uh, "Billie Jean King was like Andy Murray. Don't think that your positive comments towards women have gone unnoticed this term because he was saying he was getting asked like, what would a woman hiring? What, what would other people think about that?' And he was like, "I don't care what other people think, you know." Some people work well with women, some wouldn't. I don't care what people say, you know. If it's the right person, it's the right person. And that was really, really good of him. And just before even this, I mean, we talked about it a little bit on the show. And if you, it's not something that's obvious if you're not paying attention to it, but Murray will talk about women's issues in the game, the women's players, women's tour, how the tours compare. He's a big Taylor Townsend fan. Big ta- he tweeted about Taylor Townsend on his own. It's like, Taylor Townsend's awesome. Uh, we'll get to her a little bit later. But, yes. Andy Murray has always stuck up for the women, stuck up for the women in a way the other guys don't. And we also, I think as a press corps, at least I can speak for myself and probably you, we don't give them the chance almost to be dismissive of the women. There are right. some of the top players who have, when you ask them basic things like, who's your favorite women's player to watch? They literally They literally scoff. like, they literally scoff and be like, I don't want to talk about that. Or like, I've heard, I've heard Rafa say that, mm-hmm. for example. Rafa said like, I'm not going to touch... Right. Anything to do with women's tennis. Right. Uh, Songa, Songa has said the Songa's yeah. worse about it. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the guys, Djokovic is okay, Federer is okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of the guys just don't engage with it. And Murray, in large part because he, his tennis was taught to him by a woman who has mm-hmm. stayed engaged with the women's tour. And he's um, kept some sort of crossover. He's, he knew Baltacha well. He knows Laura Robson well, all that stuff. Um, he's always kept sort of a... He's not a Neanderthal. No, he's not a Neanderthal. And I he's, mean, and he's uh, someone who's not afraid of watching that tennis. And I mean, he tweeted last summer that he was watching Baku. <laughs> Baku? I don't watch Baku. <laughs> you don't watch Baku. No one watches Baku. Except for Andy There Murray. are like 20 people in the stands in Baku watching a match between like Svitolina and like Ludmilla Kitchenok or something. And Andy Murray is tuned in and might have DVR'd it. Yeah. No, it's impressive. It, it's incredible. And I think that, that, yeah, I mean, one of the things, if you haven't had a chance to read it, I keep pimping it on the SI site, and I hope that people do read it because I think that there are important quotes to get out there. Uh, um, is this uh, piece on tennis shorts by Alex Ramsey, yeah. who, um, you know, Andy Murray gave like a smaller interview to British press, specifically focused on. Um, women's tennis and also his decision or non-decision. This was before the Moresmo thing. So they were, but the idea of a female coach had come out. So the Brit press was like grilling him about it. And he gave so many great answers. But one of the best parts of that interview is when he breaks down the differences between the men's game and the women's game. And he doesn't do it dismissively. He does it from a purely tactical perspective where he says like in the women's game, like the serve isn't as important and that's okay. And like, he doesn't do it in a like, Oh, it's so lame. They can't serve. They can't serve. Right. It's like, it's just not as important. So you, you have to be good at other things. And he's so articulate in terms of how he breaks down both games and it's just, I, it's just awesome. I love it. Absolutely love it. Let's 
And one last thing I'll say on Andy Murray and Amelie Moresmo is that if he flops at Wimbledon, if he loses, like, first, second, third round, whatever is considered disappointment, which in British media will be anything but a title because they kind of are a bit up in the clouds when it comes to Murray expectations, um, whatever happens will not be the fault of his coach's gender. Right. I mean, it might be made out And if he wins, still also not because she's a woman. Yep. So... Yeah, not an issue. And I mean, and it's such a to short-term Am- partnership too. You can't judge them all. With, well, we'll be their second tournament together, right. no matter what. Exactly. And Amelie Moresmo was like, I thought, really good about dismissing the gender questions. You know, she was asked about it repeatedly. Like, he's a man, you're a woman, and she's like, yeah. Anyways, like she's like, yeah. that's, and she said, she's like, that's not the story to me. Yeah. Like, I'm just here to help him accomplish his goals. And I just think that she's, I mean, it's just such she's a, a... She's a good pick for this, too. Yeah, she's just such a boss hire. Like, yeah. it's just like, dude, you just dropped the mic, Andy Murray, on the eve of the, like, an hour before, like, you know, or a couple of hours before the men's final. Like... Totally upstaged it. Yeah. Loved it. Let's talk about the other men's semifinalists. Which Not is a, a feminist icon. Which is a really interesting segue. For things he said today and uh, during the tournament, Ernest Gulbis finally made a Grand Slam semifinal and finally delivered on his promise at a big tournament. I mean, we've pointed out his name in draws for years now. I mean, really, almost every time he's there because he is the definition of a dangerous floater, someone who, when he gets it all together, can do big things. And here, in French, he was in the French Open, he was steadily getting things together. He won Nice the week before. And then he came into the French Open with a, with a not impossible draw, but a challenging draw, and absolutely rose to the occasion, beating Roger Federer in five sets, backing it up with a really, really dominant straight set win over Tomas Burdich before looking a little overmatched and nervous against Djokovic in the semi. Uh, still got a set. Still got a set off him, though, in the, in the third set. Courtney, what do you make of Ernest Gulbis' run? And then you can work your own way into the press... <laughs> aspects of this look i mean he's he's that guy right i mean we've been looking at him for forever and have been expecting this of him and he expect he has expected of this of him himself and so good on him for finally like you know grabbing headlines for the right reasons for the most part um and uh, and making the semis and, and and truly earning it with two top five top well top five seed but top uh, six wins yeah top six wins and two players who are dangerous obviously and beating roger and beating thomas and not really playing outside of himself in either of those two matches can't play better against burge than roger exactly and and um you know so so obviously from tennis terms it's great he'll be in the top 10 i'm Got my fingers crossed that he'll qualify for London. Seventh now. Yeah, so that's pretty... I mean, that's just crazy. Ernest Gulbis is the seventh best player of 2014. And he has, he has very few points to defend to the rest of the right. year. He's got almost nothing. He made quarters in Canada, I think, last time. Other than that, nothing. Like, yeah. literally almost nothing. I so, mean, at this point in, in of the year, good. he's maybe one or two wins off of his combined win total of 2012 and 2013. Stat! I mean, there you go. So, yeah, I mean... it. it Tennis-wise, great. But let's face it, Ernest Golvis, as much as we love his tennis, like, the reason why he is a thing is because he says things. And the more that he wins, the more times a microphone is in front of his face, and the more that he wins, he's in the main interview room, and there are transcripts of what he says. You know, because sometimes he says things, like, I've heard him say things where I'm just like, dude. But there's no transcript of it. It's just something that he said to me in an interview or, Mm -hmm. like, something like that. And I'm just like, whatever, man. I'm not going to throw you under the bus on this because I actually don't really take you seriously. And so obviously he made headlines with his comment about his sisters and 
not wanting them to play professional tennis because he wanted them to enjoy life and to be able to have a family and how can you focus on having a family mm-hmm. if you're 27 and playing tennis. And he broadened out a little bit to women in general. Sure. He, he said women, it's too tough for women. They should be thinking about other things like having kids. We disagree on this. I really just disagree on all, I mean, but I'll just, that's fine. But you I would disagree on him broadening it out? I disagree. I agree that that is his language, but I personally don't know. If somebody says something like that, the, immediately resp- the immediate response should be from the press corps. You follow it up and you right. nail down that that is exactly what he thinks. Ernest speaks incredible English and, like, whatever. But I still think that, like, if he says, like, women, I don't know. I'm, I just, I don't know if I would nail him to the wall on it, I guess, okay. basically. Unless I followed it up and said, wait, do you really believe that? And he said yes and be like, okay. Then unequivocally, if that's what you think, uh, like, about the broader, you know, population of women uh-huh. that women should be in the kitchen and barefoot and pregnant then okay that's a headline to uh-huh. me. but a throwaway comment i'm not as much inclined because it was a specific question about his sisters it was um so yeah there's that and then his comment today ben which you know more than which i, I just I saw it from, it. A, from a tweet from katie spellman who's a former wta rep and she tweeted that there was an interview of Golbus on bbc2 talking and gets he was asked about the moresmo hire and he said that he personally was deciding between hiring Sharapova and Ivanovich and was still making up his mind as to which one would be better. <laughs> <laughs> to which when Ben told me, I just started laughing because I was just like, this guy. I mean, like, to me, like, Maria Sharapova kind of had the best response because she was asked about She was Ernie's... the only woman, to my knowledge, who was asked about it. Yeah, exactly. I... That was asked about Ernie's comments. And she was like, I mean, does anybody really take him seriously? Like, don't we all just kind of, I mean, nobody. And I guess because Ben and I were talking about this at dinner because I was saying, like, I suppose it is a double standard that I'm kind of letting Ernie off the hook. because We, it, we if, give him a pass for right, things. Because if a Stokowski said it, or if a Seymour said it, or a Sanga, or all you know, or, or a Rafa, or a Novak, I'd be like, holy shit, like, this is like, how dare you? But with Ernie, I'm just kind of like, you're so harmless, and you're just popping off just to pop off. Like, I don't really, it doesn't, for whatever reason, bother me. And a lot of times he says it, it's kind of just a joke in the same way that, like, you joke amongst friends and sometimes make inappropriate comments. That, sometimes that sounds for shock value. Right. I buy that. Exactly. I mean, I do think, I give him less of a, I think he was, I think this is a better reflection of his actual opinion than you do. Uh, but, you know, we can lead up people. I mean, the, the quotes are out there. And his delivery wasn't that different than the actual text, I don't think. No, his delivery was serious. But, yeah. he, but I still just think, in the context of what he was saying, that he had his sisters in mind. Like, is he supposed to say, my sisters, my sisters, my sisters, all the time? Like, yeah. to make sure? Okay. That's just not how... Maybe it's the lawyer in me. To me, like, the words have to be... Like, if yeah. somebody says something controversial, you need to nail them down on it to make sure... And then you can blow it up. But otherwise, if there's wiggle room, to me, I kind of give him not the benefit of the doubt because I don't. I'm not saying that I don't think that he thinks that he might. But those. But until I know for sure, I'm inclined to kind of back off. Yeah, it was one of those things where as soon as he said it in that press, I could Everybody, tell. I could tell yeah. there were there were journalists like literally face palming in the second yeah. row. Everybody like, knew. Everybody and, knew it was going to take but off. But then, as people were walking out, like I spoke to like a bunch of, especially the female reporters in that room. I spoke to a German reporter, I spoke to a Japanese reporter, I spoke to a French reporter, um, and it was just kind of really different opinions. And and some of them were like, I can't believe he said that, he's going to get in so much trouble. And then some of them were just like, I don't really see what, that there was anything wrong with what he said. Cause, and, and so there was just, it wasn't entirely clear, even amongst the women, who I would probably think were our hackles would be, you know, a little bit more sensitive than others. 
but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty. It wasn't universal. Let's move on to the ladies semifinalists here. The other person who's known as a, being a bit of a press conference standout who made the semifinals on the women's side is Andrea Pekovic, who obviously, if you listen to this show uh, consistently, you know well. We had her on after Charleston for our big interview, full Petco Palooza show, and she had her best ever slam result, making the semifinals for the first time, beat with really, admittedly, a very broken draw that she got through. She got a solid, solid quarterfinal win over Ronnie. Was a mid semis the past two years, final one of those times. Um, but other than that, got took the rubble of a Lena draw and held on for dear life and played some really, really scratchy matches and toughed them out. Admittedly played nowhere near her best at that point and dug it out. And it was very cool to see her getting um, some of the uh, laurels she has earned, even if a little bit as like a lifetime achievement thing, because this week wasn't particularly special. What were, what were your thoughts on on Pecco's run and, and how she was on and off court? Mm, I think that, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of, you know, we cut a little bit of slack, not in like a Bartoli run to the Wimbledon. Exactly, you know, that's what I was thinking. Know. It's like, because you know Pekovic's story and you know how much bad luck she's had throughout her career, uh, particularly, I mean, mainly with injuries. And you know that she works so hard and that she's not just like coasting or like anything, that she's like really genuinely trying to be the best tennis player she can and just keeps getting derailed so that, yeah, okay, two of her opponents were like ranked outside the top 100, you know. And third and fourth round opponents. Exactly, and deep in the tournament. And yeah, she struggled against them, but, you know, she played a great match against Arani to beat her in straights. She didn't play horribly against um, Halep. That second set was good. She had her chances. It was funny because I think I was commentating that match for radio and like there were the three three or four points like in the second set where I was like, yep. And I was like, those are the four points that she's going to regret. And so in the press conference, I asked her, I was like, is there anything like kind of weighing on you right now? And like literally like she was like, yep, that backhand, I shouldn't have gone for that. And this and that and this and that. I'm like, yep, that's probably yeah, about right. Yeah. She's um, smart. She gets it. She, she's smart. She's get, she gets it. But it's, it's a career best run. I don't think though the thing about... Petkovic is that she's not delusional. It's not like she's going to be walking around, strutting around, being like, I made this, let me use a slam of, of, of the French simply because I think that she knows that it was a broken draw and she really kind of survived and scrapped her way through it. And you could tell. Without like, playing her best tennis at all. Because she knew, I mean, I, ta- I went to, I think, all of her pressers over the course of the tournament. She was and, very subdued. And she was, be- but like, out of, like, tension. You could tell that she knew that she had a real chance here to do exactly what she did at this tournament. And... And she absolutely was not as maybe loose as she normally is. And she was also sick for part of the tournament, too, yes. it should be said. She said that she'd become very good friends with the bathroom. Yes. In her own words. Um, yes, she w- delivered on that well. She's getting, I think now she's just inside top 20 with this result, steadily moving on up. She won Charleston, good clay swing. Grass is never her best, but hopefully U.S. hard courts, which have been pretty good for her, mm-hmm. can be good once again. Uh, the other women's semifinalist is Eugenie Bouchard. Jeannie, uh, not Eugenie. If you pronounce it French, that's not correct, she'll tell you. It's Eugenie. She's named after the British princess, not any French person. Jeannie had a very solid tournament, getting out of what was always going to be the easiest quarter. Um, held up pretty well compared to the other quarters, yeah, actually. She yeah. had some tough wins, uh, some high-quality wins, rather, over Kerber, and then over Carlos Suarez Navarro, who's a very legit clay quarter crush Kerber and then beat Carla pretty in a tough one. 
Yeah, she shouldn't have won that match. Carla yeah. should have won it. Yeah. Um, but Carla got a Carla. And Carla, Carla, Carla choked. Carla, Carla choked hard. Carla's an underachiever. 5-2 up in the not. first set, 4-1 up in the set, third set, and Carla Suarez and Navarro lost. Both those sets. Yes. Yeah. So, Jeannie Bouchard made a semi, played a great semi against Maria Sharapova. Very good. One of the best matches women's tournament. That's what made women's tournament, I think, so satisfying, is that so many of the great matches were at the business end, whereas both men's semis and the men's final were bad. Like, Jeannie Bouchard, Sharapova semi, and the women's final are both great. Uh, Courtney, this is the second straight slam semi for Jeannie Bouchard, which would have seemed like an insane, insane stat a year ago. What do you make of Jeannie Bouchard, who I think is now at the number 12, won her first title week before that in Nuremberg? Is How soon does Jeannie Bouchard go even further? Well, I mean, she's on the verge, yeah. right? I mean, she... she, she... Could have won very, this she tournament. Very could have, she very could have easily won this tournament. And, and I didn't uh, say that about Australia, but this one she felt yeah, like she no, could have won. Have, she could have. Yeah. And, uh, and the thing is, is that clay is not even her best surface. It's not even, it's, it's legitimately her worst surface. So she'll, she'll, depending on how the draw breaks out. I mean, I think that her um, success at the majors really is draw dependent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, she had some good wins here. But again, she, she really shouldn't have beaten Carlos Suarez Navarro. That, that, that was a match the Spaniard had on her racket um, and couldn't close it out. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't think that I learned anything new about Jeannie, which is not a diss to her at all. I mean, she's a gamer. She's an incredible competitor, um, continues to just um, do beat the players that she's supposed to, handles the pressure well. I mean, I thought that she handled the pressure against Sharapova really well. In a match that that was really kind of high profile and that was a lot a tense of different match. yeah a tense match a lot of different storylines going in there you know like Pova baby Pova friends not friends all that lame <laughs> stuff like whatever and so much talk about not wanting to be friends so much the talking about time. friendship it's so stupid what like, do, what do you make what do you make of, of I don't want to be friends as a WTA chorus it's fine yeah I don't really have a problem with that at all like you know I mean the only thing that I will say. Is that because so many people, and it was a frustrating thing from my perspective, so many people, once she, once Eugenie Bouchard said that, so many people were like, oh, like she's, she talks just like Maria Sharapova. And I'm like, yeah, yes and no. Because in my opinion, in following Sharapova's career, okay, yes, as of right now, she is corporate Pova and she's total tunnel vision. She doesn't know who Judy Murray is. She doesn't care to, like whatever the hell, and isn't interested in having friends in the locker room. Uh-huh. That's fine. But at you know, I'm not going to say 20 years old because she already won a slam by then, but like at 17 years old, 16 years old, is that the mentality that Maria Sharapova had going into the locker room? No. She had friends. She was friends with people on the ATP. She was friend like she was Dolko like... and yeah, Vesnina. Yeah, Dolko, Vesnina, like whatever. Kirilenko. Kirilenko and on the men's side as well. And she was burned on all those friendships and she didn't like, it didn't suit her. And so she changed and she morphed into this thing. I think that... The difference, therefore, to me, is that, like, Jeannie's going into it thinking that, and that's, to me, a bit odd, is to go into it saying, I'm not going to be friends. Not, like, you aren't friends because you've learned, like, your life lessons or, like, whatever, but, like, affirmatively, like, no, this is not going to happen. That's a bit weird to me. Okay. Um, But, you know, like, I don't really have a problem with it. I don't really understand why everybody thinks the women have to be friends with each other, just like I don't think the men have to be friends with each other. I think all the male, like... We're best bros. Like, I'm going to cut Grigor's hair and sit in an <laughs> ice bath with them. And Roger and Rafa are going to be best buds and crack up. That's all great. 
but I don't think that it's necessary. And somehow, though... doesn't that, help the Encore product, that's for sure. It, does, it doesn't help the Encore product. And I think that, like, somehow that's become, like, the expected norm. And since when in sport, It's sports. This yeah. isn't a clubhouse. This is sports. Like, you are actually trying to kill each other on court, especially on, in tennis. Like, it's okay to hate each other. It's okay to have an edge. Yeah, and Feder, Federer and Nadal kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say ruined that, but sort of derailed that a little bit with their sort of one-upsmanship of sportsmanship they did for the it's peak of the Federer I don't love, I mean, it just, it just doesn't rivalry. suit me. This is why I love the Federer and Djokovic rivalry, and I always will. Every time they play each other, I love it, and the matches are always good, and they're always tense, and you always, and you never question that each one of them wants to absolutely take the other guy out. Not like in a... I'm saying relatively speaking from a competitive standpoint. From a tennis spectrum. Yeah, from a tennis yeah. spectrum. And I love it. There you go. So those are the semifinals. Let's just sort of pan over early results, generally starting with quarters. We mentioned briefly before, Gamothis made the quarters on the men's side, played a stupid match against Fabio Fanini, which he won, played a stupider match against Andy Murray, which he lost... He won the fourth, six one, and then lost the fifth, six zero. Complete waste of everyone's time. It was both of, of those matches. Galmafis is a fabulous waste of everyone's time. He's so entertaining. The end of the Murray match was absurdly terrible. He did his thing. France did not win yet again. We stayed with a um, a woman. We rented rooms for her. Who was French? Didn't speak any English. Courtney, though, who doesn't speak any French, I speak some French. Courtney had a conversation with her over Google Translate of the app, which was very twenty fourteen. It's very cute. <laughs> And what was the thing that she translated after that match? So we didn't even use, I didn't even know she had this app on her phone, but she was trying to communicate something to me about the tennis. Uh-huh. And I heard her say Richard Gasquet, and I was just like, oh, yeah. And I was just kind of gesticulating and whatever, and she said something. I didn't know what she said. So then she finally pulled out her phone and, like, typed it in and translated it. And the first one was, the French are sad, <laughs> period. And I was like, oh, no, 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 like, don't say that, like, you know, like, whatever. And then she was like, she, like, puts her hand up. She's like, no, no, no. And then she had, like, another phrase in, and it's like, it's a pity. (laughs) And I was like, aw. It's been 31 years since a French man won a Grand Slam, which is amazing considering how much rent they've paid in the top ten as a country with so many different guys. Um, and it's going to be a long time until a French man wins it again. Yeah, there's I nobody mean, on the horizon. This is, it's a very talented crew that they have right now, and then none of them is going to win. They did win the men's doubles, though. Benito and yeah. Roger Veselin. Yay. Yeah. Hey. 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 Thank you. Um, I always wanted to do that. Yeah, so Monfils did that. It was okay. Burditch, whatever. Uh, Ronich played well for the another straight tournament, legitimized himself as a seriously solid top tenor, really good on clay. Ferrer folded in Ugh. a weird, in a weirdly... Gross. That was a really bad match, too, because I had my hopes up for that one, which I normally don't I do for too. Ferrer, and he started well, totally. and then even second set was okay, and then he... And he Absolutely folded. And the weird thing about it was is that he admitted he folded. Yeah. And he never does this. He always says, oh, I, they were just too good. I'm, I do what I can. I'm so, I'm so boring. Um, and it just doesn't say anything. This time he was like, no, I'm really disappointed in myself. I threw in the towel. I flopped. Like, what was this? I don't know. I lacked the hunger to win. The yeah. appetite to win, he told Spanish press. This was unbelievably revealing stuff from Ferrer, who, let's be clear, never says anything never. in press. Zip. Spanish or English. Never says anything. So that was disappointing. 
women's quarters. Uh, there are some good ones there. Muguruza. Let's talk about Let's her, talk about and we'll Garbini. talk about who she beat, too, en route. Um, Garbini Muguruza will be a thing. She's legit. She's so thingy. She's so thingy. Garbini, I mean, this has nothing to do with her tennis, but I just have to say it because it just really struck me because I was in all of her press conferences, except for the one after. No, I think I was there when she beat Serena. Garbini Muguruza has this smile that forces you to smile back. Yeah. Like, you can't talk to her without, like, having a stupid shit-eating grin on your face. Like, it's just, like, you... It's And she has this, like, weird tick where she goes... During when she answers questions, she'll, like... Like, winkiness, yeah. For those of you who can't see this on the radio. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. But, I mean, incredible run for her. Played a great match against Sharapova. Had her chances as well. Um... Love her. I mean, I've always really liked her game since I saw her the first time, maybe in Miami a couple of years ago when she had a wild card. Yeah, um, that's right. Maybe beat Panetta. Uh, I, I think. think she beat Zvonareva, I want to say. Anyway, yeah. she Anyways. had a really good run. Yeah, and uh, just she's going to be a thing. She's legit. She's very thingy. Um, let's talk about because she's the only real women standout quarterfinalist, I think. Let's talk about her match against Serena and Serena. Serena was our pick to win the tournament, both of us. Serena went out in the second round. Not only did Serena go out second round, she lost two and two in 64 minutes. That was shocking. Seriously. Worst loss at a slam ever. Ever, in terms of just games lost. I'm betting she hadn't lost that quickly either. <laughs> Serena, that was seriously like a blink-and-you-miss-it match. Scoreline, everything about it, you would think the it was score one, was flipped. And the thing is, it was, it was one-way traffic the entire yeah. time. I mean, Serena really never did anything to exchange it. Yeah. What do we make of Serena's tournament and where it leaves her going forward, Courtney? I'm inclined to set it aside, okay. um, honestly. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to not read too much into it. I think that, and this was my suspicion after Charleston and, and all of her complaints about fatigue, like, when I talked to her in Rome and kind of asked her, like, you know, you took that time off and then you played Madrid but you pulled out early, like, are you cool? Like, were you able to recharge your batteries? And she gave kind of her stock answer, like, yeah, I'm so ready. And I remember, like, looking at her and being like, I don't believe you. Yeah. How do you recharge your batteries over two years because you hit the beach for a week? That makes no sense. Yeah. You know, so I do think there's a residual effect there, but I've also learned, I've been burned by this too many times. I don't bet against Serena. Let's see what happens at Wimbledon. You know, if she crashes out before the fourth round at Wimbledon, then I'll be like, dude. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. But like, the French, we already know, like, kind of, you know, she's always kind of struggled at this tournament. Muguruza played great. Muguruza played great. Um, she wasn't able to do much. You know, I'm, I'm willing to cut her a bit of slack. No, that's fair. And she was also going to play, she could have played Venus in the second, in the third round, which um, might be in the back of her mind, just being a little bit just uneasiness about that, even though I don't think, obviously, she would have lost anyway because of how lopsided that match was. There's another factor that didn't help. Venus also lost the second round, as it was to Shmidlova, who played well. Shmidlova, it's another less talked about young gun who's it's a good, doing it's big It was a good things. tournament for kids. Yeah, really, Island really Tomjanovic good. knocking out Aga Rydvansky. Yeah. Christina Modenovic knocked out Lee Na. I mean, this whole crew, I mean, Sloane Stevens made the fourth round again. Jeannie Bouchard makes the semifinals. Halep. Halep, you know, makes the final plays. I mean, this was a tournament. I mean, if you wanted to take a broader storyline that wasn't specific to a player, i.e. Maria Sharapova... That's the storyline, is that the kids continued the push that they've been, they have been making, you know, and, and you can trace it, I don't know, in a lot of ways, you can trace it back to me, uh, not to me, but <laughs> I was, you there's more this. to that, that statement, but you can trace it back to, in my opinion, the 
Laura Robson beating Kim Clijsters and beating Lee Na and making that, what was it, fourth round at the, the Open. Uh-huh. And f- since then, you've had the Sloan consistency. You've had, like, a few, like, little minor upsets by the youngsters. But really, this tournament is where, en masse, they all moved. And they backed up their upsets as well. I think the only one who didn't was Tomjanovic, who had a tough one. Against Carla. Yeah, she had Carla. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the other girls, the youngest of all of these girls, who made the third round, Taylor Townsend, who beat Vanya King in the first round in straights. She came back from 1-5 down in the first to win in straights. She then beat Alizé Cornet in a dramatic three-setter because Alizé, obviously. Um, and then she lost in straights to Carla Suarez Navarro, who just was just it's had a Carla. game that's tough to match. Yeah. And Carla had a very interesting tournament really could have done much better. Carla could have made semis for sure. Um, she wouldn't have beaten Pofa under any circumstances, no. I don't think. But let's talk about Taylor Townsend, and let's talk about the talk about Taylor Townsend. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that we all... I mean, Taylor Townsend is who she is because she is who she is. I mean, that's like a weird way of saying it, but, you know, she the dialogue about her is as significant as her game on the tennis court. And I think that what she was able to do against Cornet was phenomenal. I mean, it was so fun to watch. I mean, this, you know, for fighting ability, you know, more aggression um, in her game tactically since linking up with Zena Garrison, I think. Hitting a little bit flatter, better shots. The serve has gotten a little bit better. Still needs a lot of work. But yeah, I mean, really took the game to Cornet, handled the situation well. I mean, she got nervous, as anyone would expect, you know, an 18-year-old kid. As did Cornet. In fairness. At the corner, but Taylor, I mean, what was it, three times she couldn't serve out a set? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, it was there. But, yeah, I mean, I think that what is as compelling, I mean, and she charmed the media room. I remember sitting amongst a bunch of British reporters who started, when the, they started to tune into the match, and they weren't really tuning into the match because they were writing about other stuff. It was a lot, like the last match of the day. It was like the only yeah. match left. So people were just kind of watching it. And what started as, like, very as jokes yeah a lot of jokes about taylor townsend like she fell down and they like laughed and i was like and i i was sitting there and i was just getting livid because i was just like i can't believe like seriously you guys come on and then by about middle of the second set they were like she's really good like look at her hit and then by the third you know towards the end of the third like i think they actually did start turning to the u.s press and were like you guys have a star I mean, that, that was the, I mean, that, and that is the Taylor Townsend story, is that you, and, and I've heard these stories, I mean, across the board of people who, like, are just taken aback by her physique. Yeah. And they can't deal with it. And they automatically they assume. Pro- they, they can't, can't deal. It. And it's so incredible. And so many people, literally, I had so many people coming up to me being like, oh, but well, she's fat. Yeah. It's like, so the fuck what? She just Honestly, won, dude. She just beat Jose Cornet, who's like a really really athletic, yeah. like, perfectly lean whatever person, and she won, and this is her first ever Grand Slam. Who cares? Like, honestly, I, I had I had a reporter, it. a Spanish reporter, come out to the day after she beat Cornet, and asked another American first, who was like, I don't know. And then he came up to me and was like, how much does Taylor Townsend weigh? I was like, Jesus, dude, I don't care, and neither should you. Yeah. But they Go can't away. get over it. I'd never met this person before either. It's right. like his first state <laughs> sentence he ever says to me is how much does Taylor Townsend weigh? But they, just can't, they can't it. deal with it. They can't deal. Tennis, this, and this is interesting because a lot of people, and the same thing happens a little bit less so, different topic, 
partially, mostly, with the Howlett breast reduction stuff, right. is that the first time they really make a splash, and for both of them, this was this tournament, because yep. Halep really had been under the radar on the major stage until this tournament, yep. Taylor too. People have to, like, learn to <laughs> come to grips with things mm -hmm. and get over them. And with Halep, it's different. For both of them, I understand it. But hopefully now the tennis traveling media at least will have figured this out, will have accepted these realities of these women's bodies and moved on with it. It's not going to happen no. to either, but one can hope. One can dream. One can hope. One can dream. And I still think that the best piece that I read on, on the Taylor Townsend stuff was by John. John Wertheim wrote a great um, post after she won or whether or maybe she lost uh, to Swaraj Navarro, but he wrote a great post of just basically saying, like, she is she's a game changer on every single level. And to the extent that she can prove that or show that women are shaped differently, you guys. Yeah. Metabolisms are different. And she's 18 years old. And she's, she never looked, like, winded no. or, like, out of breath. And, and you know who did? Gail Monfils, who's a friggin' athletic guy who doesn't have half the work ethic Taylor Townsend does. And he was absolutely dead in two sets of two different matches. Yeah. He's, like, a ripped, pure, like, no-body fat guy. And we've heard this, too. From it doesn't like, matter. It's not like a it's, linear causation, it's whatever. It's amazing to me that fans or writers, like tennis writers, will look at a physique and automatically assume that somehow that there's, like, immediate correlation. Yeah. Because, like, you can't... Some people are just... They look lean. And you don't know what they're doing in their off time. They might be eating Chipotle all the time for all you know. And, like, smoking and, like, whatever yeah. and not hitting the gym. But they just happen to have a physique and a metabolism that allows them to look, like, a certain way. Let's say, like, Golbus never was fat. Right. And he was still smoking and drinking. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then you have other people who they're just always going to have a layer of body fat. Like, everybody wants to rip on Petra Kvitova. I don't really understand it. Because, like, to me, like, she's pretty actually fit. And you, there are certain body parts that you can look at, like, where you're like, like, have you seen her legs? Those yeah. are not legs that have cellulite on them. Like, you know, like, I've seen other athletes who, or other players who people think are, like, incredibly fit. Who I'm like, but that has... But then you rip on Petra? Why? Because she's got, like, a, a softer midsection that she doesn't have a six-pack? That makes no sense. Denara Safina used to always get this. And we knew how hard she was working. And yet, like, tennis writers would say that she looked pregnant. I saw Denara, by the way. Oh, yeah. After the women's final. There you she go. was hanging out with Lindsay Davenport. They were having a Aww, wonderful time. That's good stuff. It's the WTA reunions, which I saw, a, weirdly, a lot of this sermon, because especially... French Wimbledon get a lot of WTA and ATP alums just hanging around. By the way, also, every French player who loses never leaves. Mm. They'll stay there the entire tournament, which is kind of weird. Um, but anyway, it was cool to see that. That was an aside about Denaris. You just reminded me. Okay. I, I hadn't told you that, but I saw her. She was. She seemed happy. As she should be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our... We hope people can get a grip. Taylor certainly has. And, Taylor's, and, and Taylor is, I think, prepared... I mean, it's one of the most heartening things is when you when you listen to her talk and she gets these questions and and you get the sense that she is equipped to deal with it. And she that wants she to help knows, people. Yeah, that she knows that she's going to get these questions, and she's kind of there's kind of a Beyonce about her <laughs> of just kind of like yeah and like you know what I mean like and, is that what Beyonce does? No, but like I mean, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, sure. I mean like she's there's kind of a. Um, not rebellious because it's not rebellious. Ownership, but like, it's yes, an ownership, an of ownership it. of herself, and yeah. it it it's it's 
very I mean, I'll say it, it's moving. And like, when, when ta- you hear her talk about it, like it it's hard not to at least for me, kind of like feel your heart like kind of like tighten a little bit and just be like, This is just beautiful what I'm watching right now. It's so cool. On a human level, she's one of the hardest people not to root for. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, just not even like on the court, like mid match. It was like just hoping that she can put it together. And her game, let's be clear, it's very cool on its yeah. own too. The way she plays the whole court. So hopefully she gets a woman wild card. I think it's very possible because she made the junior final last year, and usually they give it to the junior champ the next junior year. Champs but junior in. champ is Benchich, who's directly in by a lot. Benchich is unbelievable, ranking-wise. <laughs> just back it's just crazy, yeah. So um, hopefully we see Taylor at Wimbledon. If not, she'll play qualities, and she'll have a good shot there, too. So she's getting good mentorship from Cena Garrison and her other coach, Kamal Murray. Both doing well with her. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Taylor. So, as we say au revoir to Merlin Garros, Courtney, what will you remember most about this first time covering the French Open as media, and just your overall thoughts on the tournament as a whole, the whole, whole organism of it? I like that there aren't night sessions. That's really nice. I mean, it doesn't mean that we I got out early. I wish there was more early. late night dining, though. Yeah, I know, exactly. The late night dining down in, in the neighborhood. That, abor- that neighborhood is pretty, pretty rough um, if you wanted to eat food. Like at midnight, you were shelling out like sixty bucks um, for a meal that you kind of were like, I really would have been okay with a Big Mac. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. So so there was that, which was nice. I go back and forth as to whether or not I like the fifteen day thing, or if I would just prefer it to be a fourteen day. Doesn't tournament. bother me. I don't think honestly that the first round should be carried over three days, but whatever. Temperature wasn't great. The weather wasn't great. But yeah, I mean, I, it was different for me because I was doing SI stuff, but I was also doing Radio Roland Garros. So I wasn't really like out and about on the grounds because either I was inside writing or else I was upstairs um, on radio. So yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it was fine. It was a good tournament. I think that though, for me, what made it enjoyable was the women's matches and results I thought were great. Um, so that made it fun. The radio stuff was fun. I had fun on radio. That yeah. was enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, those those two things are what stood out. But So this was your first time at Roland Garros. Yeah. I'd been there as a fan before. So I want your take. I know you didn't like it all as a fan when you were there. You've been very vocal and open about that. And I totally, totally understand that because as a fan, it's so overcrowded. The way especially it is now, I think, is worse than it was when you were there in 2011 in terms of ticketing. You have separate tickets for each of uh, Chatrier, Longlawn, and Court 1, which is not unprecedented. But also, you can only get into 2 and 3 with the grounds pass. So, like, all these courts are, like, locked up mm. in this way that doesn't make any sense. At least that's, what, that, I, that's yeah. what I heard about 2 and 3. Mm. Um, and I will say, on top of that, that, some of the outer courts are some of the nicest outer courts I've seen anywhere on the tour. Some of the smaller ones, like Court 17, randomly, is one of the nicest ones yeah. on the opposite side of Longlawn. It's absolute hall to get there yeah. from anywhere else on the grounds but it's like built into the trees a little bit and there's this nice big stone wall around it really really nice court courts two and three also both really nice uh bullring i liked it a lot um i was sitting we got to sit pretty low for media so that made it a big difference and i just think overall the only match i saw there right dumbly enough was a was the parmentier bartle match so it was like all these like really excited french people which i think was actually a got, really good, really good. It was a really good yeah, environment to see. Yeah, because the ring doesn't work without atmosphere. Yeah, so that was good for that. Um, I like Long Long. I like Chatrier. Uh, overall, I, I liked it a lot as as a layout for the tournament. Um, 
how would you rank them now that you've completed your slam? Mm, that's tough. The career slam. That's tough. Um, I mean, the thing is, the weather at the French is bad. And I don't, just from a pure, like, being there point of view, I don't like playing through the rain because I don't want to sit out in the rain and watch you play tennis. <laughs> I would like for us both to go warm up inside for a while. During qualies, when they were playing through a lot because they had to get qualies get finished, through, yeah. there was some of the just most miserable weather I've ever seen people play through. Like, this is weather that would stop baseball or other more rugged sports, uh, rugged baseball, whatever. And, yeah, they were, stop- they were keeping on going, and it was just like, oh, this is not fun. Um, ranking them, I don't know. They all have pluses and minuses. They really do. I, I don't know. I can't do it. I, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna balk for now on that. Right. I'll think about it. Think about it. Roll it tough. over. You? Do you have a, do you have a set? Oh, Does yeah. this change your rankings at all? No, not at all. No? no. Same thing. Same. Wimbledon, Aussie, French, and I pretend the U.S. Open doesn't exist. Really? So French was ahead of U.S. Open before for you? Mm. I don't think it was. Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't. But now it is. Yeah, now it is. You got to like Paris. We talked about it on the last show that you, you and Paris had a diff, bit of a difficult relationship. I think it's one of those things where it's like two little kids who like bully each other because they're secretly in love no. and afraid to show it. Absolutely not. Paris, I'm joking. Don't don't slander me. I try. No, don't. I don't. I I still do not like enjoy Paris, but at least this time, I didn't hate Paris because I actually wasn't actually interacting with the city very much i was constantly kind of work and then home yeah no i mean it, it was fine i mean it was better than i was expecting it to be simple but i think a lot of that had to do with that I was a bit very very busy okay thank you guys once again for listening to us for this episode of no challenges remaining if you'd like to follow along with the show when you're not listening to us you can do that in all sorts of ways you can like us on facebook facebook.com slash ncr podcast you can also follow us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis you can also follow each of us individually if you want we do a lot more tweeting that way than uh the other ways you can follow me at ben rothenberg she is at 40 deuce twits and you can subscribe to the show on itunes and leave us reviews there plug in your rss to whatever feed you want or if you have a podcast app on your phone you can get us there Really, it's so, we are so easy. We're so easy. So many jokes that I'll make right now, but I'm not gonna. I know. But we are easy. We're really, really pretty easy. Yeah. And that's just the way you like us, we hope. (laughs) Um, Thanks once again, and we'll see you guys from the grass. Yes. Uh, We're over here where the court is growing, which is weird. And we'll have all sorts of fun stuff from the lawns. Uh, See you later, guys. Cheerio. Hello.